everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk. I'm Alana Morgan at Miss Teen California, United States, and today I'm here with Danielle Broussard. How are you today? I am absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. So to start off, you are on your way to earn your PhD in educational child psychology. Can you tell me what inspired you to choose this major? Ever since I can remember, I've always been fascinated with children. That has always been my passion. Um, I've had a lot of cousins and little nieces and nephews that are always uh, running around. And I just always um, found it fascinating about how they learn and develop uh, around their surroundings. And that was very intriguing to me. So after high school, whenever I attended Southern University for college, um, jumping right into that child development degree, I just saw that it was a need in um, the low income community and the African-American community for us to just do a little bit deeper dive for our children that are in poverty and just to give them additional resources about education and how they develop and learn. Um, for lack of a better words, we don't necessarily have the resources in the, in the African-American community that are afforded to um, uh, other communities that might have those resources. So. Um, it, that's majorly what inspired uh, inspired me to go and get that PhD in educational psychology is so I can grasp all the knowledge and all the information and learn all that I can to go back and give to those types of communities. That's wonderful. So when studying child psychology, what have you learned that you feel is important for everyone to know as well? I think one of the biggest facets for the African-American community is that we don't recognize traumas. Um, a lot of times we are taught just to um, accept life the way it is and move on and not um, engage in what actually happened and discuss it and talk about it. And uh, specifically within the child and adolescence uh, platform and, and realm, we don't necessarily, you know, ask about feelings and emotions when it comes to children. So that's my targeted area and how that uh, relates to schools is a lot of uh, children have behavioral issues. They have a lot of um, uh, emotional uh, problems that aren't recognized in the classroom. So if we were to take the time to say what is actually causing these behavioral outbursts and give them the resources they need and identify the types of trauma that they have experienced, I think that that'll be a good uh, redirection to get the resources in those school systems, but also kind of target the trauma and talk about them. Mm -hmm. And so when being a mother and going to school while reaching your goals, were there any challenges that you faced specifically? And if so, which challenges were they? Oh, there were tons of challenges and barriers. Um, it is not an easy road. Um, it is not a road where you can just say, I'm going to you know, get a bachelor's and a, bachelor, a master's degree and a PhD and everything is gonna be fine and dandy. It is definitely not that. Um, being, I had my son at 22, so that's pretty much in the prime season of, of life. Um, I had to balance going to school, raising a child and still having that social life and you know, still taking care of my mental health as well. Juggling those things did not always work at times. It was times where I cried in my room and I wanted to give up because it felt so hard. But I think that when you think about the end goal and how many lives you can impact and know that you're serving a greater purpose outside of yourself, that is what is, is extremely important. Um, there, were, there were tests that were extremely hard 
there were nights where I did not sleep because I had papers due the next morning. There were times where my son got sick and I had to choose to take um, take care of him and then also finish my schoolwork and meet those deadlines. So it was a, a lot of um, turmoil. That's what I'm gonna call it, a lot of turmoil. But we know when you have a strong support system, my friends played an extremely um, great role in um, pushing me and being supportive for me and um, family as well, just saying, you know, you can do it. I am the first person in my family to obtain a PhD. So this is something um, that my family can now see is, is possible no matter what age you are or no matter where you come from. Mm -hmm. And speaking on the challenges that you did face, what advice would you give to someone who is facing similar challenges right now? I think that you just have to have that motivation and that perseverance in you. Um, if you want it bad enough, you have to know that everything is not going to work out. Um, and I always like to say, if your plan A doesn't work, then you go to plan B, C, D, E, F, and G. All of, you know, but you know, but you never give up because it's always a way to do it. And don't be so prideful to where you don't ask for help. A lot of times I had to re uh, relay on my mentors to say, I'm just not getting it. What's another way that I can understand this? Um, and they are there to help you and assist you, but you just really just can't give up. You have to, you have to stay the course and anything worth having is gonna come with challenges. Nobody is gonna show up to your house and give you a million dollars. <laughs> Nobody is gonna show up to your front door and give you a PhD. It all has to be earned, but I think that the journey is the most important thing that you have to uh, recognize. Mm -hmm. And speaking of speaking about what you are passionate about, you also have a love for dance. Can you tell me how you got started into dancing and just wanting to become a dancer overall? So that's that's another uh, challenging barrier, right? Coming from a small town in Beaumont, my mom didn't have the funds to actually put me in dance classes or for me to be formally trained in dance classes. So it came from a point for me just watching and learning from other people and attempting the, the dance moves and the technique on my own. And then once I finally got into high school, believe it or not, and that's a little late to be starting in the dance world. Um, some children start at five, six, mm -hmm. um, being formally trained in dance. But in my high school, because those resources were available there and they actually had dance as a program in school, I was able to uh, use those facets and start Fit, uh, you know, finishing up my technique, learning and asking questions, doing one-on-one -on -one with my instructors. Um, and they were actually uh, enough, uh, passionate enough about dance to facilitate me in, in auditioning for a college team in which I danced in college uh, as well. And then after college, opened my own dance studio. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just, again, a love for the children because in my dance studio, I made sure that I, I set those rates for the low income, um, specifically African-American community whose mom, just like mine, could not afford to put their children in those dance classes. So it's all about giving back and um, just allotting those resources to them, whether it's in an educational setting or in a dance uh, studio setting. Yeah, so you mentioned your dance studio. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and when you opened it and you already said what inspired you to have your own dance studio, but can you go deeper into why you really had a passion for it? Yeah, so um, a lot of uh, dancers uh, see, and you know, there's nothing wrong with this specific uh, genre of dance, but a lot of dancers see booking and, um, you know, things of that nature uh, that is 
what they think dance entails. But dance is so much more than just bucking and jiving. It is um, the technique behind it. Um, when you mix in education, that those are, are terminologies that you have to learn uh, and be fluent in those terminologies and match them with the moves. Um, ballet and hip hop and jazz, as well as contemporary are all forms of art and expression. Um, and so I wanted to bring those genres to the low income community to say, hey, it's more than just um, a bucking that everyone is uh, hot, you know, it was a hot trend then. Mm -hmm. So, um, but they actually learn and they engage and they say, you know, now I'll become a, a, a much better dancer because of the foundation that I was allowed to have. Um, and I opened my dance studio in 2015. But um, aside from that, I also was a, a coach for a high school dance team where I facilitated a lot of girls that auditioned for collegiate level dance teams. But whenever you go to those collegiate level dance teams, you have to have that basic dance foundation because the first thing that they ask you to do is technique across the floor. You got to make sure that, <laughs> yes, you have to know your toes have to be pointed. You know, you have to know the small things um, in, in order to get ready for those types of um, auditions. And that's even on a professional pro level as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's the foundation that I wanted to lay with opening um, my dance studio and just helping um, those students, not only on an income level, but to make sure that the foundation was laid for them for a technique as well. And you also mentioned earlier, you were born in Beaumont, Texas, but then after high school, you went to Louisiana. Can you tell me the reason for that? Okay, so it was only one college I wanted to go to. <laughs> it was it had to be Southern really University fun. or none or none. Um, I fell in <laughs> love with their dancers. Uh, maybe since ninth grade, we had um the director over to Southern University Dancing Dolls come and do a, a summer camp at my high school, mm -hmm. and um as she was teaching us and training us, um she said, "Have you thought about?" Um, dancing for college and I was like I haven't even thought about college I'm just in ninth grade mm -hmm. I'm trying to you know transition from middle school to high school and so she said well let me show you because this is when YouTube slowly was starting to roll around she mm -hmm. said let me um let me show you you know on YouTube what what the Southern University Dancing Dolls uh, are so she pulled up the clip and when she showed me the clip, it was instant love at first sight. Like just seeing the dancers in the middle of the field, surrounded by so many people, like tens and thousands of people. And I was like, oh, I have to do that. I have to I do have that. To do, <laughs> I have to do that. So from ninth grade all the way to graduating senior, I put in work. I made sure that I could um, stay after school and work with um, the dance instructors. I studied their YouTube videos a million and one times. Mm -hmm. And um, when I actually got to college for the first year, I did not make it. I did not make it. And that just goes back to challenges and roadblocks. Um, so I started dancing with the um, basketball dance team, Golden Blues for Southern University, but I did not give up. I did not give up. I said I was gonna go back and I was gonna audition again. And that second time I actually made it. The first time that I, I did not make it, it was between me and another girl and I was heartbroken <laughs> extremely and good. acting that would be like a veil like you but with someone else yeah but you know that taught me that um if you really want something you know you really have to work for it and no matter how many times you fall you have to pick yourself back up and keep your eye on the prize and that's a great example of that 
Definitely. Like you said, never give up. And that was an amazing story. And then you got what you wanted afterwards. You reached your goals. So now back to the educational side, you mentioned earlier how about the trauma and everything, struggling um, with children. Can you also touch on more things that you feel is struggling with our education system today specifically? One of the big things that I'm an advocate for is the structure and the teaching models that are in the classroom today. Um, one of the, the major things that I, I always speak on, whether it's in a board meeting or in an internal meeting, is um, not everyone tests the same. same. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a big fan of standardized testing. Um, uh, there are a lot of psychological uh, factors that play into, uh, into testing. Um, some people might not be general Te good test takers overall. Mm -hmm. um, some people, uh, the story that I like to give is if you give a fish, a bear, and a monkey the same test, they're all not going to test the same way. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really um, trying to target uh, that level of, um, of, of approval, I guess, or how do we how do we gauge whether a student is passing or failing based on a test or what they actually know from a piece of paper. Um, I think that that should be one form, but it should not be the main form. Like, mm -hmm. I think that tests are good in the educational system for you to grasp it. But I also think that it should be a more hands-on model to see if the student can comprehend. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to breaks in the educational system, I think the common core and I think the standardized testing should be one method that we should kind of deviate from and um, give more um, student training. So when you, whenever you have a student in your classroom, building that one-on-one -on -one relationship with them to see what are their strong points and what are their weaknesses. So if Alana was in my classroom, I should be spending more time with Alana to see if Alana, Alana is gauging more towards mathematics or if, if she is more hands-on with, uh, with science mm -hmm. and seeing and playing off those factors. Um, and once we identify what your weaknesses are, of course, we're going to give you that reinforcement. But if you don't like science at all, then I'm not going to continue to push you in science because it's going to frustrate you. It's going to deter you in the classroom. But if you love math, and I give you math and you're flourishing in math, then we should guide you a little bit more towards um, education and careers and, and trades that are more mathematical based. So that's kind of my comprehension of it because a lot of people don't like school because you teach them all of these genres that they're not, or all of these content areas rather, that they aren't really interested in and they're just, just doing it to get a grade. Then when they get to high school, they don't know what they want to do because we haven't been facilitating them from elementary all the way to high school. So that's kind of like my my pros and cons. Um, I also feel that the um, ratios in the classroom should be smaller. Mm -hmm. um, so we like have, yeah, we have a lot of um, uh, 21, 22 students to one teacher, and we put a lot of pressures on the teachers to ensure that all of those students are learning equally, but all of those students are all individual students. So I think um, lowering those ratio sizes and making sure that um, the teacher has a more of an engagement and a relationship with those students so that she can really speak on how Alana is doing, mm -hmm. how Alana behavior is, how Alana is flourishing, and what are, what, is, uh, what are Alana's weaknesses. I think that is all beneficial. So ratio sizes, standardized testing, and just kind of gauging the approval and weakness points. 
Mm-hmm. And what would you say throughout the pandemic, it's been hard for everyone to adapt to just everything like, like technically, because a lot of teachers have to move on Zoom and students have to go Correct. on Zoom and stuff. So what do you think that teachers or schools can do more to help students get a good education while learning online? Well, and aside from just, you know, the transition from actually face-to-face interactions, because um, from a psychological standpoint, that in itself, uh, not being able to socialize amongst your peers can also take a toll on you just right off the bat you're at home you know you're trying to focus it's a million other things mom might be making breakfast little (laughs) baby might be crying running in the background you know we've seen it all um on zoom or 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 social media rather of all of the zoom interruptions so um that in itself is you know especially think about if the kid is in kindergarten or Mm -hmm. first grade you know how do we expect a a kindergarten or a first grader to sit still for eight hours a day in front of a mom when they really want to go to the to the kitchen and get a snack and (laughs) and color and have recess right so I think first of all I want to applaud the teachers for even you know making that transition happen and still trying to pave the way for those students to learn Um, but I think that uh, as we move to new genres and and ways ways of learning through technology. I think integrating technology in one way or another is very beneficial, but I think that that social and that face-to-face interaction amongst peers is definitely a plus factor because it gives the students time to take their mind off the study. You know, we all want to talk to our friends at lunch. We all want to, you know, go outside and play for recess. And then we refocus back on the, um, on the educational realm. So I think that um, teachers have been tasked uh, very much so. And of course we have to take the necessary precautions because of the pandemic. So I understand the balance between them, but from a psychological uh, perspective, I think that it'll be very beneficial if children return back to the classroom and teachers are, um, you know, less, aggravated, less aggravated because you have to maintain, you know, 21 students online. Uh, Some might have technology issues. You have to take the role via, you know, Zoom or Google Classroom. Um, Then you might have someone who's, you know, who has disruptions or might put up a funny picture and then the whole class get deterred. So it's a lot. (laughs) Exactly. So it's a lot of things that they have to juggle, but I mean, I, I applaud them for doing so. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us today. Danielle, can you shout out your social medias and where anyone can follow you, any projects that you have coming up? Sure. Um, one of the main things that uh, that just happened is our um, uh, homeless hygiene bags. I, I love to do that every year around my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do is we collect homeless uh, hygiene items such as uh, tampons and pads and wipes and socks and tissue and toilet um uh, toothbrushes and toothpaste for the homeless and we make bags for them this year we um, exceeded our goal of 2,000 so oh, wow. um, yeah we did 2,000 bags and we passed them uh, passed them out to an organization called it takes a village mm-hmm. but I am on um, Instagram at dance the number four and dawn and that's where you can find me but I just want to also take the time to say I'm extremely proud of you you are okay. doing an amazing job I love your platform <laughs> and everything that you are doing you continue to be a bright shining light for those that come after you because you're doing an amazing amazing job 
thank you so much. That means a lot. And once again, thank you so much for coming on. I'm Alana Morgan at Miss Teen California, United States. And stay tuned for our next episode on Let's Talk.